morning. How are we? Good, good. Good to be here with you all. Uh, man, God is doing some exciting things. Uh, today is evidence of that. Next week will be evidence of that when we get to celebrate uh, new life. And he has cleared up my throat but left all other nasal stuff in my, you know, whatever cavities. So uh, sorry for the nasaliness today, all right? But we're going to get through this anyway, amen? All right. Uh, hey, I'm excited to continue the series. Uh, last week, what we did was we shifted into our disciple portion of our vision uh, as a church. And so we really want to exalt Christ. In fact, uh, if you kind of were like, hey, when are we going to get to the action piece of everything? I would encourage you that maybe your heart needs to rest in the exaltation of Christ even more, for that is where our hope, our joy is found. And if you were like, man, now that we're moving to the action piece, like, I want to think more about Jesus, I would say, hey, we need to kind of bridge this gap in a way of how us loving Jesus then actually catapults us to serve Jesus and to bless the kingdom of God. And so last week, what we thought about was our desire really to reach the loss. Listen, we do not want to be a church that exists just for ourselves. We want to exist for the world that is around us. Amen. That is why we are here. We think that knowing Jesus is not only the best thing for a person, it's actually the only thing that really matters, y'all. Like knowing Christ is the only thing. And so we can talk about uh, comfort or entertainment or even good things like relationships or healthy finances and all of those things are good, but they pale in comparison. In fact, they mean nothing in comparison to us knowing Jesus. And so we want to reach the people that do not know Jesus because we believe that every soul is one that Jesus longs for. He longs that every soul would come to know him and come to the knowledge of truth, 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us. And so we believe that discipleship doesn't just happen from one Christian to another Christian, but even believers, if we believe in Jesus, we begin the process of discipleship by reaching out to those who do not know Jesus. And so we as a church want to reach the lost. However, also as a church, we believe that discipleship does not just stop at conversion version, a lot of times there's a, like a, a celebration of when somebody gives their life to Christ, but then it stops there. But we want to be a holistic church really following in the whole Great Commission. And so we say, hey, look, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so it starts pre-conversion. It starts discipleship happens before the person knows Jesus, and then you baptize them. That's the first step of the Christian's life. In fact, shameless plug, we have baptisms next Sunday. Sunday. And so for those who have not been baptized, but you have given your life to Jesus, look, this is the next step of obedience. And so we want to celebrate that. And I would encourage you, man, take that step, like step into what God is calling you to as a believer. We care about conversion. We care about baptism and we care about kind of new life in Christ. But being a disciple and making disciples extends way past giving your life for Jesus. It goes into living your life for Jesus. Amen? And so it's not just when we give our life to God, it's when we also live our life for God, and this is what we want to do. So as a church, we desire not just to reach the lost, but also to equip the saints. And here's what we say we believe. We want to equip the saints so that everyone may live out their unique identity in Christ. Each of us in here, if you profess faith in Jesus, you have been made for more than what is in front of you right now. 
You've been made for more than a nine to five. You've been made for more than just the ordinary life. God doesn't make ordinary things. He makes extraordinary things. And if he has made you new in Christ and you have been made, equipped by God, as we'll see today, to do something in the kingdom that is magnificent and that is beautiful, we want everybody to find their unique calling in Christ, their story that God has laid out for them, and we want to help each of us walk in that. Listen, you have identity as a son or daughter of the most high God, the king of the universe, And so if this is true, then that means that there's something for us to do for kings don't just sit on their throne and do nothing. They begin to rule and reign kingdoms around them. And our king is pushing back darkness that the light of Christ may shine. And so this is what we want to be a part of. Amen? I'm hype already, and we ain't even got our Bibles out yet, all right? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Ephesians is where we'll be the whole day today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will actually come forward now. Uh, if you physically don't own a Bible, I would encourage you, man, raise your hand. They would love to give you one. Take, keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have the Word, to be able to use it. Uh, if you want a nicer Bible, go to the Lost and Found. And, uh, man, if you lost your Bible last week, you better get it, because uh, somebody's about to go get that, all right? Right? Uh, you can also follow along on your phone. Uh, if you have the YouVersion app and anything like that, then uh, you can type in the Well Austin into events. You can follow along that way. Take that link, put it into your browser. We say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word, y'all. I am convinced that nothing that I say has any significance or value if it does not come from the word of God itself. And so we want to be a people that submit to the word, that are empowered by the spirit, that live out by the word, that, man, the name of Christ might be exalted. And so would encourage you to jump in that with me, okay? We're going to get to the text that we just read in a second, but I actually want to pull us back a little bit earlier to highlight why we believe each of us has a unique identity, a story to play out in the kingdom of God, and why we as a church want to equip you to live in that story. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And we're actually going to pick it up in verse 10, and we're going to camp out there before moving to chapter 4, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says this, for we are his, this is God's, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, there's so much here, but Paul starts off with the word for. All right, what he's saying in that word for is, hey, in light of the previous statement, all right? Well, what was that previous statement? Well, Laura just went through it a little bit ago. It's that, man, we've been given this gift of faith, okay? And so in light of the gift of faith that you have been given, you didn't earn it, y'all. It was given to you as a gift by God, from God. If you are a Christian, then the statement I'm about to make, Paul says, is assuredly true. If you have given your life to Jesus, saved by grace through faith, then this statement I'm about to make is going to be true. And so what we see immediately, y'all, is that we know God first before we know what he wants to do with us. You tracking with that? Okay, like if you're struggling with why you were created or what your calling is, maybe it's because you need to know this God of grace a little bit more. Maybe you need to rest in what God is actually calling to. Maybe you're trying to serve God before you really know God. And that's why we started off on the exalt portion for we are actually called by God as we know God to serve God. If we try to do it the other way around, we start running and we become a works-based moralistic people rather than a grace-filled people. 
And so we need to know God first. This is the beginning reality. And so listen, now for some of us, maybe God just hasn't revealed this calling to us, and that's totally okay. Maybe you do know God, and God just hasn't revealed what your unique part of this story is. Listen, he didn't reveal it until Abraham, until he was 70. Moses was 80, so y'all got some time, all right? Like, it's okay if you don't know what it is yet, but some of us, we try to run ahead of God and ask him to bless our efforts rather than get to know God so that we may bless his effort. You ain't building your kingdom, you're building God's kingdom. And so we need to know what God's kingdom is in the first place. Come on, now we're preaching today, right? We need to know this, y'all, okay? Look at Paul then says, look, we, okay, that means all of us in here, we, each and every one of us are, which means currently and forever will be, okay? And so all of us are and presently, forever, we will always be, if you believe in Jesus, you are right now and you will be to the end God's workmanship. That word workmanship is the Greek word poema, which is where we get the word poetry from. You are God's masterpiece. You are his work of art. You are his poetry that he so intricately created that he might display his beauty into the world. Listen, you are God's poetry. That's good news, y'all. That's good news, right? You're not just some thing. You're not just a machine that God was cranking out. No, he spent time on you. Every poet, every author, they invest a ton into the craft that they are trying to build and shape. You are the craftsmanship of God. He took his time with you. He has created you new in Christ. You were created, that means when you became new as a Christian for good works. Listen, not neutral works. Not passive works, not absent works. You were created for good works, amen? This is what God is calling us to. You were created for a reason or a purpose, if you will. And so before coming to know your purpose, you have to find God. And then everything else will fall into place. But I think for a lot of us, we may feel like we don't know why we're here on earth. And I want to tell you, if you don't know God, then the reason that you're here on earth is to find God. Because everything else will feel absent until that becomes the reality. If you do not know this Jesus, you were created for something more than what's in front of you. But everything you try to fill it with will feel like a void until you find this God of the universe. But as you find this God of the universe, then everything starts to unravel with life. And you begin to realize that you were created for so much more than what is in front of you. And so if you're not a Christian, the work that God wants you to do is believe. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 6. This is the work I want you to do to believe in me. Right, But once you believe in God, then for the Christian, you have a different, you have an eternal reason for existing. In fact, it says that God's already prepared this work for you. So you don't have to strive to try to create it. God has already laid it out for you in the first place. In fact, it says that he's preparing you for it. And so the gifts that he has given you is God preparing you for a work that he has already laid out before you. In fact, the trials that you're going through right now is God preparing you for the work that he laid out before you. All of the fruit that he's producing in you is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Tori, right? Because I don't produce this. The Spirit produces this in me. But as he's producing that in me, then he's preparing me for this work that he's laid out for me. Your friendships, your situations, the reason why you're in Austin at this church this morning, Acts 17 says, that's not a mistake. God is trying to prepare the way for you that you may walk in the works by which he created you to walk in. 
This is a really, really good truth. He's preparing you for work. This text is pregnant with so much truth, y'all. There's so much here that we can unravel, right? I saw something on Instagram this week, which I thought was really good, because, you know, Instagram's where we get all of our good theology from. <laughs> oh, man, I want to follow it up with a joke, but I ain't going to do it, okay? It said this. It said, I'm really bummed that girls look at the sky and think, wow, God is so amazing. But then look at the mirror and think, uh, as if he didn't make both. I was like, sheesh, that's good, right? No cap. I see you, Instagram, all right? All right, now listen, if, all you, if you get your theology only from Instagram, there's a problem, all right? I'm just going to say that. But there's some good stuff every once in a while. And what we actually see is a Genesis 1 creation theme here in Ephesians 2.10. Look at the words that it used. It uses created in Christ for good works. Created, good, and work are all themes of Genesis 1. God created everything. He called it good. It was the work that he did. Now he created you new in Christ, and now you are the new creation, the work the poetry, the beauty of God. And so in a very similar way to the Instagram post, why would we marvel at the structure of the universe or the process of photosynthesis or the complexity of the human eye? Why would we look at the sky and say, wow, God creates really beautiful things, but then think that you don't have a reason or a purpose for existing as if God makes junk. God doesn't make junk. He made you for a reason. God made you and designed you in a way that you might do a good work. And so do you realize that you were created in the image of God himself? God makes beautiful things. God does not make junk. God's products are not being sold at Dollar General or Five Below. <laughs> right? And so just as girls should not look at themselves and say, man, I'm ugly because God intricately created them. So you should not look at yourself and say, man, I'm useless because God intricately created you. God knew what he was doing. You have a place in the story of God. You are designed, created anew for beautiful works, family, unless the scriptures are lying to us right now. Either they're telling us the truth, every one of us has been created for a good work, or it is lying to us. I believe these are the authoritative words of God. There is no lies in here. And so you were created God's workmanship, his masterpiece to do good works, y'all. And so we as a church, we want to exist to help equip the saints for these because each of us has been created by God to do a work uh, for God. Now listen, we realize that it says that he's created you for good works that you might walk in them, not that you might work in them. That's really important. The natural reading of that should be that we would work in them because that's the, the, the main verb of the text here. But he changes up the language here. Why? Because even these works that are already prepared by God, and as we operate in them, we end up acting in tandem with him. And so we are co-laborers, not creators of good works, right? You don't have to have the burden of now trying to live up to some measure of faith in some way. Even us walking in the good works is actually an act of faith as we co-labor with God in this work he's prepared for us. An easy way to say it in this text is that it's not telling us that, hey, now that you're saved, now you start living by good works. 
That would be against our exalt piece, right? We are a gospel-oriented people. That's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, it's not saying that, hey, now that you're saved, now you end up doing a work for God. What it's saying is that now that you're saved, you allow God to do a work in and through you. So it's still God's work. We are just co-laboring with him in that work. So the burden doesn't come on you to try to produce all this stuff. The burden is simply you resting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, loving Jesus more. And as that happens, your affections get stirred up. You are compelled, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, by the love of Christ. And as you love him more, you are compelled into the works that he's prepared for you that you might walk in them. The burden is for us to walk. And look, most of us in this room, we know how to walk, right? God has made it so that there's something for us to do. Therefore, even when we start doing awesome works, we can't boast because it's his works in us anyway. Like it's his gifts, aren't they? He didn't give me no gift of preaching. or I mean, I didn't make myself a gift of preaching. He gave it to me, right? He didn't give us this awesome hospitality or this, you know, effective evangelism or, sorry, we didn't produce that in ourselves. He gave it to us. God was the one that was producing that in us. I'm up here speaking heretical, right? God did it, not us, all right? That's what I'm saying, okay? And so look at, now look, we can take joy in how we were uniquely designed. We can, we can like marvel at the works that he's produced in us and we can walk in those and take joy as we co-labor with God. Man, we can run hard in that. Yes, Paul says, I worked harder than any of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, he says, I toiled with all the energy that God put within me. Colossians 1, says, so yes, we can run in what God is calling us to, but in that running, we get to rest that it's not our working. It's his working through us. And so we need to realize that this is good news, right? Are y'all tracking with this? Because here's the deal. We can either let this roll into our ear and roll right back out or come into our ear and sink down into our hearts, y'all. Do you believe you were created for more? Do you believe that you are God's workmanship, that you are beautiful, a new creation in Christ? The fact that you are God's poetry, his workmanship shows the uniqueness that is in each of us, but also highlights that you have purpose and beauty for existing. There's a reason that God has you here. You were designed to do awesome things in the kingdom. Now, the problem is, is that we think awesome means having to be the next Steve Jobs or the next Apostle Paul or the next Anthony Beltrez or something, right? I'm about to get this man struck by lightning, right? Like, no, 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 that's not what awesome necessarily means. Listen, God's awesomeness is most commonly displayed through our faithfulness. Because his plans are so unique that one measure of faithfulness can actually change eternity, y'all. Mm, my, my, my. Right? This is good, good news. It is one stone that established Israel as a nation. Do you realize that? Right? Like, it was one promised child that made Abraham the father of all who believes. One measure of faithfulness there, y'all. It was one sentence that brought a nation to repentance. And end up saving a whole nation's souls. It was one act of mothering that established all of Israel's kings. It was one act of death that brought life to all. 
It's one measure of faithfulness that ends up really activating or letting us see God's awesomeness as he wants to work through us. And so we are called to be faithful to God. We don't have to muster up all of these things and try to work out of all of this strength that is us trying to work for our salvation or our sanctification. We don't do that. We believe that God has already prepared it for us and we act in faith. As we act in faith, we walk in what he has called us to and as we walk, we get to see the hand of God moving through us. And that is good news. And your soul becomes activated because you begin to realize, man, this is what I was created for. Like God is using me in these ways. Now, what exactly is faithfulness though? If we want to walk in faithfulness, which the scripture commands all the time, what exactly is God calling us to be faithful in? Man, y'all be asking some fire questions, all right? (laughs) Look, Each of us has a specific calling, okay, but each of us also has a general call. And so there's a general call that he's placed in each of us, which we're going to talk about today. And I believe that each of us also has been designed by God uniquely for a specific call. If we don't believe that, then Ephesians 2.10 is lying to us. You have been created for good works, right, that you might walk in them. And so this goes into our Ephesians 4 passage that we read this morning as we got into the Word. When we go into Ephesians 4, we see see, and in fact, uh, Mary, you can throw that up on the screen and just leave it up there for a while, that he gave the leaders of the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to what? To equip the saints, it says. Okay, that's our language, right? Well, that's not our language. We stole it from the Bible, okay? But that's the Bible's language. We didn't steal it. We borrowed it from the Bible, okay? We were led by the scriptures to have this in our language, all right? And so what is this, right? He says that we might, uh, uh, to equip the saints for the what? Work. There's that word again. Don't miss it. Don't miss what Paul's doing. He's stringing these ideas together. You were created for good works. Now he's telling us, what are these works? What are we supposed to do? What is this uh, faithfulness for the work of ministry, which is what? It's the building up of the body. Okay, so there's one piece there, and then it's to faith and knowledge and maturity and to the fullness of Christ, it says, In other words, the works that he's calling us to do is to look more like Jesus and to serve more with Jesus. That's our work, to look more like Christ, to grow up into the full measure of him, it says, and to serve with him, to build up the church. Christ died that he may win the church to himself. Now he literally commissions us out that we might co-labor with him in winning the church to himself. He died for his bride, now we get to build his bride with him. And so we are called to look more like Jesus and to serve more with Jesus. You are called to be a disciple and to make a disciple is another way to say that. And so this is why we want to equip the saints toward this. We believe that discipleship is very simply loving and following Jesus. Okay, there's nothing cute, there's nothing fancy about that word, right? It's just a word we don't use normally, so it feels foreign to us. But all it means is us loving Jesus and then following Jesus. And we want everybody to love Jesus and then to learn to follow Jesus. So each of us, y'all, are called to the same work. We're just given different gifts in order to make that work happen. You tracking with that? Each of us are called to discipleship, to be disciples and to make disciples. It's just each of us has been given different gifts in order to make that reality possible. And so some are apostles or prophets or evangelists or shepherds or teachers. Some has been given hospitality or service or some has been able to perform miracles or speak in tongues or prophesy. Some have been able to do all these different things, okay, so that the church would be built up in Christ. So once again, each of us might have a specific 
specific call, which is awesome, right? Maybe your call is to work in a certain marketplace that, man, the name of God might be uh, promoted there. Some of us were called to be awesome dads or awesome moms, that we may raise up the next generation, that we may take those arrows that God gave us and shoot them right out into the heart of darkness, that we might push darkness back that way. Some of us have been given multiple different callings, like that being one of them and maybe something else being another one, but all of us have the same general call to looking like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then multiplying this in others. This is the work that God wants us to walk in. And so as you sin less, as you love more, as you serve sacrificially, as you give abundantly, as you speak boldly, as you proclaim broadly, as you extend mercy and grace, and on and on and on it goes, you begin to look more like Jesus and you begin to make a difference in the world around us. You stop living for your little puny kingdom and you start living for the grand kingdom of God and you realize, man, this is what I was designed for. This is what actually ignites me. This is what makes my heart come alive. And therefore, the more that you read or pray or fellowship or evangelize or listen to God or meditate on his word, and the list could go on and on and on and on, then the more you begin to think like God and look like God and talk like God, because who you hang out around, you end up talking, looking, thinking, acting like, right? And so as we hang out with God, we begin to look more like God. This happens all the time. In fact, if you don't believe it, listen to how our staff team laughs, and you can realize we've all been hanging out around each other, right? Because all of us have like a really similar laugh. I don't think that happened when we first came on the staff. Juhan was laughing one way, now he's like, ah, and it's like all of us, okay, <laughs> right? And so listen, the more you're spending time with God, the more you start to look like God. And as you look like God, man, God is actually moving in and through you. And so each of us, we're called into this. We're called to help each other with this, to produce this in others. And so part of the work that he wants you to do is your own sanctification, y'all. It's your own looking more like Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus is what sanctification means, being made holy, being made more like Jesus. That's what the call is. That's part of your job. That's part of the work is to purchase personally look more like Christ and then help others do this. That's the first piece of all of this. How do I look like Jesus? How do I help others look like Jesus? To love him and to know him, to continue in this, to help others walk in this. And so, so much of what we're doing as a church should be this very thing is helping make disciples of Christ who love Jesus and who look like Jesus. Listen, y'all, this is why fellowship or serving in a ministry, or giving, or loving each other. This is why it's not optional for Christians. Because if you have been designed to look like God, this is what the Father in heaven looks like. He loves just tremendously and tenaciously. He gives of himself generously. He serves others sacrificially. He speaks the truth to others when they are unwilling to hear this truth. He loves them and walks with them. He literally comes down and dwells amongst us because he wants us to know him. He is patient with us and long-suffering, and yet he spurs us into action. This is what our Father looks like. And so as we do this together, we begin to be, uh, look more like God. And as we look more like God, we will come alive because you've been created in the image of God. This is what you were supposed to look like. And as you look like this, man, your soul will come alive, y'all. This is why these things are optional. They're mandatory for the Christian. And yet we know that doing them doesn't save us. That would be contrary to what we just read. But when we walk in them, we see God moving in these really beautiful ways. Y'all tracking with this? 
And so this is what we want to do to look more like Jesus. We want as a church to help you to do this very thing. The Christian then should want to help others do this very thing as well. So collectively or corporately we do this together and then individually we do this with each other. Do you all see the cycle here? right? We become more like it. We help others become more like it. We help the whole church become more like it. And it just continues on and on and on until we get to the full measure of Christ, which is what all of us are aiming for, to look just like Jesus, to be mature in our manhood or in our womanhood, to image and reflect God in the way that he's called us to. And as a church, we're never going to get here unless all the saints are equipped unless all of us are doing the work sacrificially that God has designed each of us uniquely to do. And so the call here isn't just personal equipping, but it's also multiplication, y'all, that we would help others live in this as well, that we would help them walk in what God has designed, the building up of the body, it says, toward the end of that verse there, because we need each part of the body. So you may feel like a JV Christian. You may feel like, man, I don't really have nothing to give, but that's you believing the lie that Ephesians 2.10 just said isn't true about you. If you've been created new in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, and God isn't weak. He's not weak. And so, nor are you. The problem is we just don't walk in what God has already designed for us. That's why we feel like that, but God has already prepared the way for us that we might walk in them, y'all. God wants to use you. In fact, this thinking is the very thinking that gets the body to not go where the body needs to be going because it says we need every joint right? And not like the, the hood language either, the scientific language, okay? We need every joint up in this joint, y'all, all right? right? Each of us, okay, has a unique part to play. This is what happens, y'all, when you like, when you hang around Juhan too much. This is what happens, right? It's on you, dog, all right? No, I'm just kidding, right? Each of us has a part to play, okay? A unique part to play in the story of God. Now listen, listen, listen. Some of us might have a lifetime callings, all right? Some of us might have lifelong calling. Some of us might have momentary calling. Some of us might be called here for one season, there for another season. On and on it might go. But all of us are called to action. We are not called just to gather and become a country club for believers. We are called to action and to be uh, warriors in the kingdom of God, pushing back darkness. This is what we're called to, y'all. Each of us are called into this more and more. And so, once again, we do not work to try to prove something to God. Works do not justify us as Christians, but we are saved to works, y'all. Right? Another way to say that is that uh, works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. And as we walk in that and as we continue to serve God in this way, man, we realize what we were created for. So we become like Jesus, then we walk like Jesus. This is why I say all the time, y'all, discipleship is the key to taking over the world. As you make disciples, the world is equipped and it is sent in these beautiful ways Each of us get to partake in this act of discipleship. Each of us get to walk in what God is calling us to. This is actually why we want to build leaders and to develop them. In fact, Adam and I met all day on Thursday, literally from like 9 to 5.30, okay? So from like 3.30 to 5.30, we probably didn't get anything done, all right? But before then, we were getting a lot of stuff done to literally try to build all of this leadership development that you'll hear about here in a couple of months because we want to equip the saints as a church to 
develop leaders. But what we know is that discipleship is key to doing this very thing. It's individual people pouring into individual people to help them look more like Jesus and to serve more with Jesus. It's small groups of people pouring into small groups of people that help us look and act more like Jesus. This was Jesus's method of ministry. I mean, he preached to the 5,000. Amen. He sent out 120 all at the same time. Amen. But he spent most of his time around three. And as he spent time around three, those began to produce in others, and the world began to be changed in that way. Discipleship is the key to taking over the world, helping other people live and serve like Jesus because you yourself are trying to become a disciple. You are trying to live and to serve and to walk like Jesus. And so this is why we can't fall into the temptation of trying to be mega heroes in the faith, like Christians with fluorescent capes flying behind our backs, right? Like, that's not what the Christian life is like. And, but it's just this simple act of faithfulness, of pouring into the people that are around you, of seeing who's in your community group, who's in your family, who's in your neighborhood, who's at your workplace that needs to look more like Jesus and to serve more with Jesus because you believe that is their life. You believe that's where they come alive. You love them so much that you want them to know God more, and you will sacrificially do what it takes to help them in that process. Do you see what's happening here, y'all? It's actually really, 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 really simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Like, it's really hard to kill sin, isn't it? (laughs) To look more like Jesus. It's really hard to share our faith because, man, people might ridicule us and mock us and, you know, have us not. It's, it's really hard to give sacrificially when we want to live with the comforts of this world. It's really hard to serve on a consistent basis because, man, it's just tiring sometimes. And sometimes you just want to go to sleep early, not talk to another person till midnight, right? Like, it's hard to do some of these things. I'm not saying the Christian life is easy, but it is simple. It is really, really basic. You look more like Jesus and you help others look more like Jesus, and you serve together to build up the church. This is what God is calling us into. This is what he wants us to walk in. So look, you don't have to have preaching skills like Tim Keller in order to help equip people for the works that God has called them to. You just have to be faithful, y'all. Faithful in loving Jesus and helping others love Jesus. It'll take diligence, right? But discipleship is the key to taking over the world. Listen, that's why leadership development is awesome, but leadership development, all it does is it makes disciples even more dangerous. And so leadership development, helping people uh, hone and craft their gifts, is not the answer. Simple discipleship is. Leadership development just helps them hone and craft that more and more and more, that they may be more effective in disciple-making. And so we want to walk in this, loving Jesus, helping others love Jesus. Am I being repetitive enough yet, y'all? Like, it's real simple, right? And I want to nail this into our head because it's a really basic thing. This is what it means to equip the saints, that you would love Jesus and help others love Jesus over and over and over and over again. Each of us can do this. You could do this right now. Take somebody in your community group. You don't even got to like them that much, y'all, all right? And literally begin to hear where they're at, right, and start to help them love Jesus more. And as they love Jesus more, maybe you'll start to like them a little bit more, too. Right? And so invite them into your life. Invite them to do yard work with you on Saturday because don't nobody like doing yard work on Saturdays? Like, that's a product of the curse, amen? 
All right, okay? And so look, but now that you have somebody with you, as you begin to talk with them and say, hey, man, how's your life with Christ, right? As you pray together, as you talk about who you're sharing your faith with, as you encourage them in the truth, as you lay out scriptural truths before them, and on and on and on it goes, then you're helping develop another person. It is life on life in that way, helping you to look more like Jesus personally, helping us to help others look like Jesus, and then collectively we begin to build up the church as we find what God has uniquely designed us for and walk in that, y'all. It's real simple, right? But it's real difficult at the same time. It's easy to start to uh, punt that, uh, 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 the, the, the privilege or even the command of God and to begin to try to focus on all these other things. No, no, no. It's real simple, y'all. We don't want to divert from this. And so we want to develop leaders that we may push back darkness even faster and stronger, yes. And we want to continue to equip in all these ways. But personal discipleship is how you do this. And you don't have to be a hero to make this happen, y'all. In fact, can I do a really uh, easy analogy here for us this morning, okay? Um, I'm thinking about my awesome, beautiful, good-looking, hot-stuff wife sitting back there. She already, she already knew I was going to do this, okay? And can you actually stand up for us, babe? She didn't even know I was going to do this. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Yeah, y'all say what up. Hey, what up, babe? Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing, okay? So here's what happened, y'all, okay? Like, you've never heard Natalie up here preaching, right? Although she is going to be preaching at women's ministry, it's going to be fire or the women's uh, retreat, okay? But uh, man, you've never heard that, right? All she was was she was super, super faithful with one other person I'm going to have stand up, and it was Huli, okay? So Huli, can you stand up for us? Look at Huli, y'all. Come on. Okay? And so here's what I want us to do, okay? Just real quick. About, uh, what, eight, nine years ago, eight, nine, ten years ago now, uh, man, Natalie actually was just really, really faithful with Huli. Huli came to church one day. She was looking for a husband. She, right? You ain't going front. Okay, she said that. So I feel, I feel like I can say that. I feel like I can say that publicly, all right? Some of y'all might be here looking for a husband. You'll end up on staff with us, okay? So, right? So she was looking for a husband, all right? And man, she just said, man, you know, I, I kind of want to know more about this Jesus. Something about the sermon, something about the message ended up touching her heart. And so Natalie ended up following up with her. And after a few uh, just meetings and things like that, she ended up sharing the gospel with Huli. And Huli gave her life to Jesus about a decade ago, right? And so it's super, super awesome. Now, because of Natalie's faithfulness, we have somebody on our staff team that is able to serve God in all these really beautiful ways, okay? But here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to, if you have been blessed by either of the two women that you see standing up, all right? If you have uh, been encouraged, equipped, challenged, if they have walked with you in life, they have rebuked you in moments of hard seasons or encouraged you in moments of down seasons or developed the gifts that you have within you, if you've been blessed by either of these two women at any point in your life, would you stand up for us real quick? Look around, y'all. Look around. Huli, look. Small, small measures of faithfulness, y'all. Look at this. Small measures of faithfulness end up impacting half a room. Y'all can sit down. That almost made me cry. Small measures of faithfulness, y'all. That's all God's asking for. And as Natalie kept meeting with more women, as Huli kept meeting with more women, 
helping them to love and know Jesus, as those women blessed their husbands, as they got together with other guys and helped push them, as Natalie pushed guys toward me or whatever it might be that's happening here, we literally saw the church start forming. I saw who was standing up. Look, we can impact the world with just those two women's efforts. I saw you. There's some power that just stood up there, right? Man, God wants to use you, y'all. God wants to use you. And so it's simple acts of faithfulness, small moments of discipleship that end up taking over the world for the sake of the gospel. Listen, I can do the same thing on the guy side, right? I can have KC stand up or Chris stand up or different people, and the same effect would happen. It's small measures of faithfulness, y'all, that end up impacting the world. Listen, you don't got to be a hero. You just got to be faithful, And here's the very beautiful thing within this family of God. The very beautiful thing is that even where we fail at this, y'all, even when we decide, I ain't trying to look like Jesus, and we do punt the faith, even when we don't walk in the works that God has designed for us, even when we get frustrated at God or we walk in our own works rather than works that God has called us to do, we have a Savior that forgives us for that. Do you know why? Because Jesus came down and he walked in the work that God prepared for him before the foundation of the world to perfection. John 17, 4 said that he completed every single work that God had given him. Why? So that when we end up failing in the works that God prepared for us, man, Jesus is our perfect example and our forgiveness. He gives us his righteousness. We are given the righteousness of Christ as if we ourselves completed all the works of God because Jesus actually completed them. And when Jesus went on that cross and died for our sins, Jesus was treated like he didn't do a single work of God, like he was the biggest sinner ever, so that we who do not walk in the works of God may now be forgiven in Christ. But then when we're forgiven in Christ, he wants that very thing to compel us to walk with him in life and help others see that reality too, y'all. What we have in front of us is not a game. It is serious. There are people that do not know Jesus, that their souls will be apart from God. forever. But if we are faithful in little, little, little things, then we end up making a kingdom impact for eternity. You are designed by God to make an eternal difference, y'all. You are designed by God to do beautiful, wonderful things, and all it takes is simple faithfulness. You looking more like Jesus, loving Jesus more, and then helping others do that same thing. And as you do that, you build up the church, and y'all, we become monsters in the kingdom of God. We become monsters in the kingdom of God, and we push back darkness as each of us uses our unique gifts to build the body so that the body can do beautiful, beautiful work. Man, this is what we're designed for, y'all. We want to equip the saints, every individual, because each of us has a unique story. And as we walk in that story, God is glorified. And as you help others find their story, God is glorified. And man, darkness is pushed back at an unbelievable rate, y'all. Amen? Man, let us be a church that does that. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for being active in our life. Ephesians 1 says you foreknew us before the foundation of the world. You saved us. You didn't just save us, though, and that's it, but now you uh, put your spirit inside of us. And as you put your spirit inside of us, 
man, we got to uh, see you move in these little ways, and we're still getting to see you move, and man, multiplication happens, and you even foreknew, you foredestined even those works for us. You are active before we knew you, you are active now that we know you, and you will be active in eternity. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that, Jesus. God, I pray that each man and woman in here will walk in that. God, for those who may not know you, I pray that even today they would see they were designed for more. That they would realize that maybe they've been trying to do their own works, trying to find their own purpose, and that you give purpose and meaning in and of yourself. That they would give their life to you and say, Jesus, I am yours, as we just sang about. They would choose to sacrificially submit to and follow you, Christ. And for those of us who have made that profession who says, Jesus, I am yours. I want you to be my king. Would we let you actually be our king and to charge us forward? Would we follow you? Would we do the works you've called us to do? Would we make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples until the whole world hears, God? Would that be the reality for us? Help us to walk in that, God. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. We praise things in your very, very beautiful name. Amen.